Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast with me, Marion Ellis, a chartered surveyor, coach, business mentor, and founder of the Surveyor Hub community. Each week on this podcast, I speak to surveyors and people in the industry about their careers, business journeys, and day-to-day work. Listen to their real-life stories, step into their shoes, and leave feeling connected to the conversation. So welcome to the podcast today, Kelly Allen. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Marion. How are you? I'm good, but it is early on a Sunday morning that we're recording this because uh, it's now in lockdown three, which... So so uh, listeners to the podcast early on will know that in lockdown one, I made my podcast guests come on at six and seven o'clock in the morning so that I could record this. I'm a bit more agreeable now and it's half eight on a Sunday morning, but it's still... Still a little bit early. Kelly, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, uh, thank you. My name's Kelly Allen and um, I'm a building surveyor, four years into the industry. And who do you who do you work for? I work for FFT Surveyors. And what kind of surveyor are you? I often talk about there being lots of different flavours of surveyors because they're all, yeah. all very different. But what kind of work do you do? Yeah, they, they, yeah, there certainly is a lot, a lot to surveying, isn't there? I, I do a lot of party wall work and uh, contract administration as well, and, and a, a bit of project management. And is that more on the sort of commercial side, or does that involve residential? It's more residential. Oh, okay, good. I like that because I like residential. When people talk talk about contract administration and things like that, I sort of. I'll be honest, I sometimes glaze over because I'm a residential <laughs> valuer. But uh, residential, we've got a bond, Kelly. Now, I, I came across you a couple of years ago, feels like a lifetime ago now, when we were both at the Young Surveyor of the Year Award. Uh, was it 2019? It was, yeah, 2019. Yeah. And you, you didn't win an award, if I remember, but you got, did you get a special mention? I can't remember. I won the, I won the building surveying category, uh, the award. Oh, okay category yeah and tell me about that experience what was that like oh that was incredible it was absolutely incredible um you know I personally have always questioned my abilities I think a lot of people relate to that and um and to be to to win that award and, and to sort of have that mention at the end was just absolutely incredible it really was I love judging those awards I judge lots of different awards because I just find it quite quite interesting, but you get to see real insight to people's careers. I judge on the Customer Experience Awards, which is a totally different industry, but you get to see lots of different businesses and how they operate and what's important to them. But the Young Surveyor of the Year Award, I think, is always quite special because it is new people coming into the industry and, it, and everybody's got that enthusiasm. For me, it helps me connect with that sort of that that passion of when I first started out. And I was really excited and proud to be a surveyor. You know, and then life takes over. And I went through a phase of not telling anyone I was a surveyor, particularly when the housing market was a bit rubbish. And um, <laughs> people would argue with me over house prices and what the Daily Mail was saying. And then I got into complaints and claims, which is my, uh, largely my background. And then people would say to me, oh, you know, you that must be horrible horrible having people shout at you all day and it wasn't it was you know it was a it was a tough job but it was great because you got real insight into into surveyors as um as people but I love I love looking at young surveyor of the year award and just looking at the the enthusiasm that people have and and it takes a lot to put yourself forward whether you self-nominate 
or whether you, you know, you're nominated by your company to do it. It takes a lot of, you know, encouragement and confidence to do that. How did it come about for you to apply and 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 how did you how did you go about it? So the the partner of the my um line manager, Mehmet Bakir, put myself and a colleague forward for the for the awards just as, as a recommendation, really. We we didn't believe at all that either of us would win. <laughs> Oh wait a minute! So there was a uh, were you uh, were you both in the same category? We were, yes. Oh, so you were your colleague, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you 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 entered and won. <laughs> Not awkward. <laughs> oh no! She, she, do you know what? It was an absolute privilege to both be put forward and to even get shortlisted. We were we were blown away with that, um, and we were both sort of put the agreement that if any one of us won, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't mean anything. It's, it's a win for the team as well, particularly when you work in a you know a, a small team like that. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting point actually about putting yourself forward and being nominated and shortlisted and and mm-hmm. taking some something from that because people can be quite dismissive of oh you didn't win mm-hmm. you know but still putting yourself forward you know and, and sort of being nominated and on that shortlist you know it's really important to make the most of that and to, and to mm-hmm. share that because there are thousands of people who, who get put forward for these things and not everybody not everybody makes it through so it, it's quite an achievement so that was last year how have things been for you since then how was a sort of life changed since you won that award well I was Privileged. Well, I felt felt absolutely blown away. Grateful to to do a presentation at the um, RICS graduate. So all, all of the um, new 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 members of the RICS, the new the people who passed their APCs, I did, I did a presentation there uh, alongside Timothy Neal, uh, the president, the, the old last president. Yeah, last yeah. President no, don't, call don't, don't call him old. Don't call him old. Not old. <laughs> <laughs> Not old, past president, um, which which was just a huge, you know, huge achievement for me personally. I thought that was that was fantastic, um, and and life, you know, has, has changed because of COVID, I guess, which is a totally different subject. But um, yeah, things have changed. Yeah, and the last um, awards that were in November twenty twenty, I think it was, they were all online, and and I tuned into that because I. I judged in, the, in some of those categories as well and I actually thought it was it went really well because they had lots of different rooms people doing sort of different interviews and chats and I thought it was quite in, in, enjoyable I was at home with my glass of very cheap fizz <laughs> practically <laughs> lemonade watching but it was really good and I, and I thought it was actually quite accessible because the thing about you know going to um, events is that it just costs money it costs money for the ticket it costs money to go there to travel you know, and that's sometimes out of people's reach. So it was open to all members. Um, is it still available? I'm not sure. I'll have to check. Make a note of that for um, Navina. If you're listening, I'll, I'll double check and send you a link. Because if it's still available, it'd be great for people to go back and, and mm. watch some of it. And also it's a great thing if you haven't already link it to your LinkedIn profile, because then it's real <laughs> evidence online that you... Uh, that you won. So yeah. one of the things I talk to people about on this podcast is their careers and how they got started in surveying. I know you've had quite a journey to get to where you are just in life in general, but I'd like to just talk to you about what way it made you want to be a surveyor. <laughs> it's a, it's quite a funny story, really. I actually went back to college to be a carpenter. 
I just thought, what what was I good at at school? And I was good at carpentry. And I went back to go onto that course at Bromley College. And unfortunately, it was full. Well, I say fortunately today, actually, it was it was full. So they put me onto the BTEC Level 3 Construction and the Environment. And it was on that course that I had experience of several different units that related to surveying. And I excelled at all of them and I really enjoyed them, really, really enjoyed them. And um, it was from there that I started to think, well, actually, maybe I could. And and the next step for me was actually maybe I could be a site manager. So I thought maybe I could be a site manager. And and it was as I went on that journey um, of education and my confidence built every year and every every unit that I passed that I was able to sort of look further and further of where I wanted to end up. And and that was where I eventually realised that I really wanted to be a surveyor. It's interesting because... That resonates with me. I was a mature student, um, go back to college. I've done an earlier podcast, so I won't explain it all. But but I didn't start college when I, uh, in a uni when I thought I would. And I was going to go back and do marketing. I ended up going to do estate management. And it's funny how things sort of fall into place. And that uh, journey of education, I think particularly when you come to it a bit later, you know, you're more mature, you're more worldly wise, or rather that you're, it's almost like something in your brain has clicked. And it's like the things you didn't get before you now get. Mm-hmm. And you get to see, I guess, your, your eyes open and just the possibility. Because I never thought, even though we in estate management, you know, we did estate surveying content, there wasn't a particular surveying module, I don't, I don't recall. But it was the, the possibility that you could get somewhere and they just talked in passing about what surveyors did. And I thought, oh, that was interesting. It wasn't like a hard career sell of being a, a surveyor. I've been at career fairs before. It's quite a hard <laughs> thing to explain when there's so many different different people. And I think that's that that journey of of um bit of sort of self-discovery, I guess, because it's not just an educational journey you go on. Your life changes when you go to through through that sort of kind of college or university, um, particularly when you're, say, later in life, but you, sounds like your roles, but mm. but you, you know when you're not sort of straight after out of school and you've and you you've had you've had life because you get to see the difference. For me, when I qualified as a surveyor, as a training surveyor, when I got my APC back in the day, my salary doubled overnight. And it was life changing. It meant that I wasn't going to lose my flat, you know, because we were struggling for for the pennies at the time. And it gave me not just that professional sort of credibility and that sort of sense of worth, I guess, you know, that I'm I'm worth it, mm-hmm. but but also it made a sort of quite a, a financial impact as well. So after you sort of did your your courses, how did you then get your sort of first job? Were you able to sort of get a, a placement or mentoring? How did that work? No, I, I I went to an agency and just um, put myself forward and, and asked them to find me something, preferably in the city. Was that a, a recruitment agency for surveyors? Uh, yes, or, yeah. Recruitment, yeah, recruitment agency for surveyors, um, and, and and they they found me a position in London in a in quite big, well known firm in London. And were you working in London at the time? Uh, did you live in London, or do you? Did no, you have to no, relocate? no, I live in Bromley, uh, so Kent, but it's it's a so it's commutable, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's a, a thing for a lot of graduates, I guess, you know, is that sort of moving for work. Mm-hmm. I came from North Wales, there wasn't really any surveying type or even well paid <laughs> jobs there at the time. And I first moved to Birmingham, was the most homesick you could ever imagine. Came to London for six weeks and thought, if I 
you know, if I don't like it, I'll just go home and I can say I've been to London, you know, <laughs> and um, uh, as it was, I met my husband. So, you know, it changed. <laughs> life, life changed. I guess, you know, we mentioned sort of COVID, you know, people aren't able to, uh, might not do that now, sort of relocate so much for work. We have been able to adapt online. How has the whole lockdown and situation and COVID affected your work? So initially I was I was furloughed for three weeks, but work has just increased, to be honest with you. I mean, we've seen a huge increase in workload um, and, and, you know, obviously working remotely, it means that you can almost fit more meetings into one day, actually. It saves on the travel time that we would have previously been travelling to people's offices to, to have meetings and chair meetings, etc. So it's actually worked in, in it almost positively in that sense. Mm. I think it has it has changed things in the sense that you don't have to relocate anymore. I think people are almost, from what I've seen, people are liking the the, the mix. I think if we go back to normal, what what normal is, I think it'll be a, a very much a mix of half in the office, half at home, and I think it's to certainly changed things. Mm. And I guess when you're working part of a team as well, it changes the team dynamics. Mm. You know, yeah. because you've got to work harder to be present online in the zoom room or teams room you know whatever whatever software is used and it, it's just a very different way of of connecting and and working with people and i think it'll it'll change the way i change the way i lead i think particularly mm. sort of younger people you know who are sort of rising through the ranks to become leaders and managers you know you've experienced now what it's like to be in a team Mm-hmm. You know, as you move through and become a manager and sort of manage people, you're going to have to do that, <laughs> do that, which is a very different experience, perhaps, to what the current leaders and, and, and managers have um, have had. But I do feel for a lot of students, a lot of trainees, people who just can't get the mentoring experience that they need right now. And and that's a worry. But at the same time, I think, you know, have faith. You do get there. Yeah, I think I think personally, I've seen a, a lot of that and experienced that. Where obviously, I'm, I'm still I'm on my APC journey, so mm. I, I relied quite heavily on listening to people in the office, um, hearing how people resolved certain problems or situations, and to not have that in the office environment has been quite a change, a difficulty, I, I guess. And what I've personally done is joined a few um, WhatsApp groups with other professionals in the same situation, um, particularly on their APC journey. And and we bounce, you know, just questions off each other and and just for that support. Because I think a lot of it is um, questioning your own abilities. That's the problem, being being remote. You question your own abilities. You think, well, is that what that person, am I doing the right thing? You know, and you get you get stuck in your head, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. Well described. That's it. And and that's where, you know, sort of talking to people, you know, and, and, and verbalizing it. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, I was right. Oh yeah, I was wrong. Yeah. You know. Exactly. I think I think one of the the things that I see with with students and learners is that they they forget how how strong they are and that they do have the ability mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. You know, and some you know, very often there are some companies that basically hand the APC over on a plate. And I don't mean that, that it's easy, but it's structured. You know, you do the work, you show up and you have your interview and you get your APC. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really allow people to explore what reaching out and doing things differently could look like. 
Mm-hmm. And so now people have to work really harder. Yeah, you know, you've got to find people, set up what WhatsApp groups and things like that. You know, we see that over in the Surveyor Hub on Facebook group and love or hate Facebook. You know, there's a lot of conversation going on there with people sharing the things that they've seen, asking the questions. But it's taking people, you know, people like you to find the courage to ask the question and have it written down to say, uh, I have no idea what this is. Um, how would I approach this? Somebody help me. And that sort of vulnerability of saying, I really need help and I don't know where to begin, or I really need just a bit of support. You know, you have to dig deep to do that. And and for a lot of people, that might be hard if they've never had to do that. But so people have got to, to, to reach out, but it's all resilience building. The earlier you learn to ask the stupid question and not worry about it, the more you will learn. I remember being on a, a building site in St Albans early on in my career and I didn't have a clue, you know, and I could have either spent three months just swanning around, you know, looking pretty, which was a lot of, you know, what was said back then. It was unusual for a woman to woman to run a site, you know, or I could have just, I just swallowed it and just said, I don't know what that means. Can you show me? And people were so supportive once you started to, when I started to open up and say, I just don't know, and I need to get through this three months while I was on, on my graduate scheme. Um, and, but the earlier you do that and get comfortable with that, even now, even as a at director level or I'm on governing council, you know, we still ask the questions of, okay, but I don't understand that. Can you tell me more? And, and no matter what level you're at, if you don't understand something, it's not clear, you've still got to ask. Yeah. All the way through. I, th- I think that's such an important point, actually. It's took me some time to accept that, actually, in my own career. That I used to think that I had to know the answer or, or, or I'd look stupid if I didn't know the answer. And actually, what a relief it is today to be able to give a hand at a piece of, piece of work from my boss and be able to say to him, I have no experience with that. I have no experience. So can you share your experience with me? Yeah. Cope with this. And, and, you know, such a relief to have that honest conversation. And, um, and people don't judge you for that. They help you. People like... And, uh, yeah, and the thing is about surveyors is that we like to think that we're experts. We feel we need to be experts and specialists because that's what people come, come to us for. I interviewed early on a lady called Rebecca Janman and she does a lot with building regulations. And I remember her saying, you know, there's something like 27,000 different building regulations. Do I know them all? No, (laughs) but she knows where to look, you know, and she, she remembers case studies and and situations and scenarios. And it's the knowing where to look that whole sort of follow the trail, if you like, not just in terms of you're doing the inspection, but, but also the guidance that's out there and, and all of those things. And I think some, what I see with a lot of surveyors, particularly, you know, I I coach surveyors who, um, who run their own businesses and I see very often they feel they need to be an expert and they will be doing more and more CPD, you know, and training to do this, that and the other because they just never quite feel good enough. Mm. That's, that's, what, that's what it sort of comes back to, never quite feeling good enough, never quite feeling the experts. And I think that's because in part as, a, as an industry, you know, we've talked ourselves into that, that you've got to be the best and you've got to be an expert. But do you know what? It, it doesn't matter. Yes, you've got to be good so you don't get sued, but you don't get sued if you have a well-run business. You don't get sued if you follow your procedures and guidance. If You don't get sued if you really trust your gut instinct and don't do the job or call something out when, when it needs to happen. 
So that that sort of being an expert, you know, sorry, Kelly, you're going to get that all the way, all the way through your career. But you, <laughs> but you can, you know, you can do lots of things about it. And knowing who you are and what you're about can give you such great confidence in the work that you do and, and your ability and also knowing your your boundaries and you know and when you need to to ask for help and I do wish a lot of surveyors who were sort of further on in their career would really take that on board because they would just be so much happier and successful <laughs> at the end of the day you know if they said you know what I, I love this job you know this is how what I do yes I need to keep my CPD up, up to date that's absolutely important but striving to be the best all the time it can make you sort of quite competitive almost and yeah. nobody needs that there's just plenty of room for for lots of lots of people tell me about your day-to-day work though so you mentioned party walls and contract administration what do you love about it Personally, I love the the initial inspection to any old property. I, I love the history of our buildings, particularly in London. So when you're when you're doing that initial um, inspection, that initial survey to determine some of the defects within that property uh, before prior to, to preparing this, you know, the specification, etc., and, and going eventually onto the contract administration stage, I like the pre-contract administration services more. I think personally. But yeah, day to day, busy. You deal with a lot of different projects. I deal with a lot of um, different projects all in and around London. Lots of different clients, different organisations. I, I, I love my job. I must say, I really love the, the diversity of the, of the job itself. Did you ever think you would get to that point where you'd have a career like this? Never, never. If I'm going to be totally honest with you, no, never. I had a my my. You know, I, I went back to college with with a daughter you know and, and my daughter was very young and um and I honestly I, I just thought I'd be a carpenter you know go and be a carpenter just get a job would would, would do and and I never thought I'd get to where I am today. Carpenter is quite an unusual choice though still. It is <laughs> it's just something that I enjoyed I always enjoyed working with wood I still do uh, me and my son do a lot of woodwork together yeah it's just something that I enjoyed and I wanted to go into something that I would enjoy. One of the things that was quite powerful at the Young Surveyor of the Ward, when you talked about your your journey in your sort of mid to late teens and mm-hmm. your life then, and lots of people and myself were really moved and inspired by your life, the way that you've overcome so many challenges to become the person that you are and the work that you do. One of the things I can never quite articulate, but I think there's something really powerful there for people that have, I don't know, there's something for surveyors, I think, that there's a reason why we're surveyors, you know, and it's not just because we like geeky stuff. <laughs> you know, there's, there's more to it. It's that sense of, you know, security that we can reassure people in their, in their homes and in the workplaces and their self, safe environments, there's a, a caring, uh, even the, the 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 most boring, strictest, unemotional surveyor still has that that empathy. I think to do with bringing the uh, their understanding of the way that people live and the built environment and our homes. You know, there's there's something there. Even if they can't articulate it, it's just like I am really badly now. There's something, and there's a reason that why why we do it. And I do think that the the careers that the the childhoods, the careers that we've had, help us shape that. My own experience is that 
you know, I, I was brought up on a on a council estate in North Wales. My mum bought property through the right to buy scheme and it was a disaster, you know. And so I was sort of very property aware, if you like, from a from a young age. And I, you know, I see a lot of surveyors who I talk to on the podcast and they've all got journeys, that, that sort of journey into surveying that starts way before you even think about being a carpenter or going on your BTEC and, you know, and, and doing a course. It all starts way before. Tell me about your your life though and how how you actually came to that point because from, from what I know of you, you know, it, it's obvious that you were going to do some kind of work in that way. But share, if you're happy to share with the listeners. So I, like you, was brought up in a, a council estate. Uh, some, some poor life decisions on my part at 15 years old. And I, I removed myself from that household very young. thought that I knew best, left education went off and lived my life, semi-homeless at that time. I was plodding around, really no direction in life. Uh, didn't believe in myself at all. Realised later on in life that I suffered with some mental health issues at that time, depression and, and extreme anxiety, which has sort of resurfaced throughout my career to date. But from that point, I, um, I, I went back to college initially because I had my daughter. I had my daughter and I decided that I didn't want to sort of give her that life. I wanted to do more for her. So I went back initially just to get my GCSEs. That was my goal, you know. I want to get my GCSEs, and I, I felt that I felt I, I felt at that point that the reason that I I was so turbulent inside, you know, I felt like not uh, uh, something wasn't right was because I'd left school with no no GCSEs. And when I went and achieved those GCSEs, then my goal changed, and I thought, well, I can go further. So it was that taking that next step. And if I'm going to be totally honest with you, at that time, my self esteem was really really low. You know, I never believed in myself. Hugely different person to who I am today that education journey and being a mother to Emily, it changed that for me. It's sort of, you know, we spoke at the beginning almost about things happening for a reason. And I really truly believe today that everything happened the way it was meant to happen for me to get to where I am today. Being able to give back to the housing, you just mentioned it, you know, to be able to make a change in the communities that we work in and to to be able to help people live in a a more suitable way. It's a great benefit of this job. It's a great way of giving back, you know, personally. In my own experience, the thought of, you know, when you, when you grow up on a council estate, you see all sorts of things mm-hmm. and yes, you want to help. But for me, I just had to totally get away because it was too emotional to deal with a mm-hmm. lot of it. And I did try for a time to work in social housing, but I just couldn't hack it because it, emotionally it just brought up too much. And also I think because my mum was very pull yourself together, move on to the next thing. Don't deal with the emotion, just pull yourself together, go on and do the next thing. That gets you through. But there comes a point where you realise, do you know what? If you don't start to address some of the things that you had in your teenage years, and I and I suffered for, I feel like we, we've got a bit in common here. I had, you know, and I talked on a podcast a little while ago about, you know, my own teenage depression. We didn't have the internet then, and I think that might have changed my life. <laughs> Being quite remote in North Wales, you know. But looking back and understanding that, you, know, you can't fix those things, but it really shapes you, and it, it it's making sure that you're you're looking forward. But it's mm-hmm. the drive to to do it in a positive way rather mm-hmm. than a negative way, or to run away from it. And for me, I was very, you know. A, a great thing for me would have done to be get involved in social housing. I understand, 
you know, how a lot, having experienced a lot of it, how some of those things might work. But uh, I was in fear of it, it was an, a, an away from motivation, if you like, mm. that would have led me to that kind of job. Whereas what I had to think about was more, well, you know, aspirationally, where do I want to to be? And I found that really hard thinking of, you know, where do you want to be in two to three years time? Absolutely no idea. Because I don't know what kind of person I would be in two to three years time. And it sounds like from your journey, you know, you the goal was to get your GCSEs. You know, when you start, you couldn't even perhaps sort of think about your any other courses or any sort of future career. And it's really hard to think that far in advance, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah, it certainly is for me personally. I think it's a self-belief as well that that lack yeah. in, in yourself, you know. And, and for me, I certainly didn't believe I'd be where I am today. I certainly didn't believe I'd get through university. And university was a game changer for me because once I stepped foot into a university, the old um, imposter syndrome hit. You know, they're going to find me out. I'm not good enough to be here. All of those feelings. And, you know, and the reason I speak so openly about this today is because the more I have spoken openly about this, the more I've realised that a lot of people suffer with this same thing. And especially students, you know, thinking they can't get through it, don't want to admit that they're, they're, they're perhaps scared or, you know, don't believe in themselves because everyone thinks that they should be strong and it's going to impact their career if they're not strong. And I think it's just so important to speak about things like this, you know. And I guess the culture now compared to in the past is that we do talk about these things. Hmm. We have to. It becomes natural, more natural to younger people like you, <laughs> you know, and the more the more that you can do that, the more that it, help, that it, then that's it helps the, the rest of us to do that. Because there is strength in our vulnerability and all of the things that have brought you through to today shape you today. And it means that you are intuitive in the way that you work, in the decisions that you make, and that you're able to say, I have no idea what that is. Oh, this is outside my area of expertise. I'm going to need some help here. It brings you to today. So where do you, you sort of talked about, okay, it's difficult to think ahead, but what do you think about the future now where you are today? <laughs> for me personally, um, my main goal now is just to get through my APC. I want to pass my APC. And then after that, who knows? You know, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know where I'm going to end up at all. Right now, I work a lot in social housing. So that, that's that's where I'm based. But I don't, I don't know what the future looks like uh, for me. Hopefully be a partner one day. It's really interesting, isn't it? I think that's um, when I, I used to be on the uh, APC panels. I, I don't have time to to do it so much now. But there is the goal to get through to your APC and that's mm -hmm. it. And I remember what that was like for me. And I guess the advice I would give is to think about the surveyor that you want to become. Mm -hmm. Because if you focus solely on passing the goal, you know, it's sort of just like passing the test of the driving test. You really mm -hmm. want to learn how to drive. Now you will have your P plates, obviously, but when you walk into the room, what we're looking for is a sense of the surveyor that you're, that you're, you've got the potential to be. Mm -hmm. you know, yes, there's a technical side, but it's sort of how you, you carry yourself. And part of that is knowing your boundaries. You know, that was the thing that I would always look for. Are you, are you mature enough to know, you know, when you're stepping over the boundaries or when you're not sure or when you need to get advice? And I think part of that, you know, that sort of being the expert piece, mm -hmm. you know, is, yeah, you know, you need to know your stuff, but you don't need to be the absolute expert on everything in the APC because that would just be really, really stressful. 
and also impossible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we set the day. bar so, so high for ourselves, don't we? We do. We do indeed. And it's so important to ask when, when you know, and, and I've learned that, you know, just to be honest, it's my, you know, I'll always look first, I'll always research first, but, you know, I don't have experience in that. What would you do as someone who's more experienced in that field? Yeah. One of the key things I think that's important for a lot of students and learners and APC candidates is role models. Do you have role models or as you were sort of doing your your course and everything, role models in, in surveying? I do today. So since starting at FFT, I do. I look I look up to the um, the partner of the firm. He's, he's, he's a hugely inspirational man who's, who's sort of driven our, our team and navigated us through this difficult time. But also he's a re- he 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 walks the walk. You know, he walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk. He, he's a, a reliable person who, who works ethically and responsibly. And and I, I follow him, really. I look up to him. And with you winning uh, the award... Young Surveyor of the Year Award, you're now a role model. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I take that quite seriously, actually. You know, I love to I love to give back anyway. I think you can give back day to day in your work. And I do, particularly during this time where it's been quite difficult for people um, in, in, in this new COVID world that we're living in. People are quite, you know, isolated. And it's, it's quite important to be able to reach out to those people and help out, especially with work. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and you spoke about it, you know, taking the power out of those worries by talking about them. Sometimes people are scared to ring you up. So I have a responsibility to ring them them up and um, ensure that they're okay. And um, and I've taken that quite seriously during this time. It's that, particularly sort of with our with our colleagues or people in our network, it's that two-way, two-way thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Do you I think I read somewhere that you um do you work with a charity? Uh two charities, yeah. Hmm, tell me about that. So initially, I started working with uh, Just Be, which is a community-based charity. And, and this all came about uh, through FFT. They have a, a charitable foundation called the Affinity uh, Charitable uh, Charity Foundation. And a few years back, I think it was about three years ago, they invited all of us to come and present a charity of choice that we would support through the business for two years. And I, I came and, and I spoke about uh, Just Be and what they'd done for me and my relationship with them dates back to when they started uh, 15 or so years ago and I was like I said I, I essentially made myself homeless I was I'd sort of gone off the rails at that point as a teenager and they approached me and they, they were a church outreach program at the time and they approached me and they gave me a hot chocolate and some donuts and and this lady spoke to me she was really really just spoke to me about what was going on how am I what, why, why was I, why was I at the streets at, at nine o'clock at night, you know, skateboarding. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, and she listened to me and, and from there I've, I've sort of, they, they've assisted me at various different points in my life. And, and I owed a, a great debt to them because I don't believe my life would have directed itself in the way that it did without their support. And, and we were able to sort of work with them for two years. Uh, we, we raised over 35,000 pounds for them. Wow. And I continue to work with them today. I've just put myself forward to be a trustee for that for that charity as well mm, that's great experience more mm-hmm. experience I interviewed Catherine Tanner who's the now current president of the RICS for um I did this thing called the women in surveying summit where I interviewed these women a couple of years ago and I interviewed Catherine Tanner and Fiona Hathorn from women on boards to talk about board experience and it was the most fascinating interview the upshot being 
you know, the earlier you can get some kind of board experience, be that being a school governor, trustee on a charity, it will stand you in, in good stead. Um, and I think particularly for women, because it's hard to get, you know, within your, your career, a uh, business sort of experience, if you like, just because there's not many of us, it takes time, you know, so getting that experience in, in different ways is, um, um, is really good. The interesting thing about that interview, so these interviews are meant to be half an hour, 45 minutes. That one went on for nearly two and a half, three hours <laughs> because cat. And I'm sure Kath won't mind me saying, but between Kath Fontana and Fiona Hathorne, I mean, I barely asked a question. <laughs> it was like a masterclass of amazing senior women talking about the glass ceiling, the career ladder, and it being a, you know, called a ladder for a reason, and um, putting the world to rights. And it was, <laughs> um, you know, it really, <laughs> really, really scared me, actually. And I, I remember saying to Kath, do you know what? You're not, you're not selling it. You know, this seems really hard. I said, well, it's a career ladder for a reason, Marion. If you want to get on, you need to think about it. <laughs> yeah, and it was real accountability accountability from me. But it was long and I had to really edit it <laughs> down. But it was it was really interesting. But yeah, the, the earlier you can get that kind of experience. And it, it gives you that wider view of what goes on. And same, I think, if you're on a, you know, many students will be on a, the equivalent of a graduate scheme and I guess you'd rotate around sort of different departments but even if you're not in that you know going to find out what your you know what your finance department actually does mm -hmm. you know what your procurement team or commercial team what your complaints team does you know it just gives you that wider view of business and all the component parts that make up a business or an organization you mm -hmm. know because when you're when you're at the top, you only get to see a, a, a piece and to understand the workings. And it's all about sort of broadening your your horizons, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is indeed. Um, I think that's hugely important as well. You, you don't understand the components of the business when you come in, or I certainly didn't. And it's, it's, it's hugely important to understand how we all interlink and, and how we all work together. Mm. And I think particularly if you've you know, as, as we're, we're trained to be surveyors, we're not necessarily trained to be business people. And I, I see that yeah. a lot with my, you know, my, the, the coaching that I give to small, to small businesses, but we're not, we're not trained to, we don't see that, you know, and we concentrate on being the expert surveyor, but we do need to have that business element as well of how our own organizations run. Cause that can help us understand how to, the language to use and the, the way to talk to the finance team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and to understand some of the, the the jargon. But if you if you approach it with curiosity, just get curious about, you know, you don't need to know everything, but mm -hmm. to get curious and then you start to build a network of different people that you can reach out to to ask the question of, you know, what on earth does this mean? Yeah. Yeah, it comes down to that honesty again, doesn't it? And asking, you know, just asking for, for what, what someone else does. It does, but it, and it's a it's a real learned behaviour. There's um, a great book and TED talk by a lady called Farrah Store. I think she's the editor of Cosmopolitan magazine, and she did a, a, a TED talk and wrote a book about something called the discomfort zone. Right. You know, and we talk about the the comfort zone and stepping out of it. But it's when you're on that edge of discomfort, when you when you're triggered by something, when you feel uncomfortable about something, when you're scared about something, where if you can find the courage to stay there, you can really 
learn a lot about yourself and about work and putting yourself in those those really vulnerable uh, vulnerable positions you know and and you just you get used to it you get used to the uncertainty and used to the turbulence of what it's like it's just a new rhythm to learn and it's all about life and those things i think can really help you later on as a surveyor because you never know what kind of situation you're going to be faced with. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about you love going into properties right at the start and getting a feel for them. But particularly when you work in residential, you can walk into anything. I mean, you walk into someone's home, you walk into their life, warts and all. Yeah. And, you know, and that's just not having the washing on the radiators and, you know, the kids running around. There's all sorts of things that you can, that you can see. Uh, and we often you know, some of the surveyors I talk to, we often say, oh, we should put a book together. I think, no, you just get sued. <laughs> you know, but it takes a level of maturity to do that, particularly particularly if you've not experienced those things. And I think also, you know, whether that's you've come from a, if I call it quite a simple, nice life, and then you walk into a difficult family situation, you know, having to do a valuation on a property where there's a matrimonial dispute and they're getting divorced, you know, it's a bit like War of the Roses, is, is never pleasant. But equally, when you've come from a less privileged background and you then start valuing multi-million pound properties, that can be quite, quite intimidating as well. And, but you still learn that people with expensive houses still have their washing on the radiator. exactly that you know it's the same wherever you go they just might have fancy radiators and someone else to do it for them (laughs) but look kelly it's been really good to talk to you this morning thanks very much for your time and um yeah good to speak to you thanks marion thank you so thanks for listening to today's podcast i hope you enjoyed it i really do love hearing your feedback so please feel free to drop me a message you can email me at marion.ellis at blueboxpartners.com or you can find me on social media at Marion Surveyor.